We're glad to have you joining us today on the Care to Change podcast. In this episode, April will be talking about bipolar disorder with our counselor and clinical director, Brittany Gibson, as they continue our series on mental health awareness. We always hope to offer you practical solutions for positive change. Thanks for being part of this conversation. Well, welcome back, everyone, to Care to Change's podcast. This is April Bordeaux, and I'm the director here at Care to Change, and we are right in the middle of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. So we've chosen to take this month to really dive in a little deeper to the different common mental illnesses and topics that people talk about. Today, I brought one of our experts with us, our uh, clinical director here, Brittany Gibson. Brittany, thank you for joining us as always. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for having me. I um, have a, a special appreciation for Brittany. For those of you who haven't met her yet, she's the one that supervises all of our clinicians here. And so um, I appreciate Brittany and what she brings just in leadership here at Care to Change. Uh, congratulations on getting in the leadership Hendricks County this year. I know it's going well. Yes, it's a pleasure. It's such a, a fun event to be in, a fun leadership program to be able to spend a whole year just developing my skills and bringing those back to the community. Yeah, that's so neat. That's so neat. All right, so today's topic is on bipolar, and I probably should have started with that, so hopefully everyone is sticking with us, but the topic is on bipolar, and this was one that we chose because we hear especially teenagers and people who are ending relationships talk about feeling bipolar or having bipolar friends or their spouse or partner being bipolar. And so this term bipolar is sort of thrown around a lot these days and, and can be easily misused or misread. But um, so let's talk a little bit about bipolar. So will you start just by explaining what the definition is of bipolar? So bipolar is consists of having something called manic or hypomanic symptoms, as well as depression symptoms. So there's two types of bipolar disorder. There's bipolar one, which is typical mania, and I can go into a little bit more about what mania looks like. And then bipolar two has what's called hypomania. And so the term bi means you have both. You have both depressive symptoms, but you also have the other side of those manic symptoms. And so when you think of kind of our baseline of, of, of where you are and who you are, you can swing really high to the manic symptoms, and then you can go really low into the depressive symptoms. Um, and the main difference from bipolar disorder from depression is that mania, that, that component of having the really elevated uh, mood system or mood symptoms that are much higher than the average person. So you're you're throwing out terms for the for the listener and what we usually hear is it's like a roller coaster ride. Yes. They're up one minute and down another. So um it, it seems to me especially in the world that we live in today that people experience a wide range of emotions whether they name the emotions or not and some of those are happy elated forms of emotion and others are sad or maybe even somewhat depressed form of emotion. And so just because someone feels happy and sad doesn't make uh, them have bipolar. So can you dive in a little bit deeper? Because if I'm listening and I don't know about it, I might think, well, maybe that's me because I experience both of those. So 
Can you sort of give a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. So when I'm working with someone and they come to me and they say, I think I might have bipolar disorder. There's a couple of things that I will really ask and go into because like you said, it's normal to have a, a range of emotions throughout the day. And just because I experience happiness and sadness in the same day doesn't necessarily mean I have bipolar disorder. So when I'm looking for someone, you know, like if that's what they're coming to me with and that's what they're saying they're experiencing, you know, do you have the the elated sense of self that lasts for four days minimum? So you have to kind of have the high for a four days of minimum for hypomania and a week for true mania. So you're having a consistent period of those elated high moods um, symptoms. It's not the roller coaster each day, but it's the, the you're high and you're staying high for a minimum of four days per period. What what does that look like when someone stays elated or high? What behaviors would you see? So you would see kind of an inflated sense of self or a grandiosity. So like a, um, a higher than average confidence level. So kind of thinking that you're really wonderful and you're the best person ever and you have these really great grand ideas. So sometimes people will start businesses or or go and get loans and things like that because they have this really just great idea that has no planning behind it. It's just a very impulsive decision. Um, Impulsiveness as well. Decrease in need for sleep. So this is kind of one of the markers that I'll ask people is, tell me how much you slept last night. Well, I slept three hours and I felt, I feel wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that might be a symptom for a lot of people. If you're sleeping five or less hours and you feel rested, that usually is a symptom. You just, you don't need as much sleep when you're kind of that elevated, more talkative than normal. So uh, very fast talking. It's hard to get um, people like to have a conversation with you because your, your words are going a mile a minute. There's a term called flight of ideas. So you kind of connect things in your conversations that aren't supposed to be connected or you jump from one idea to the next. And it's just really hard to have a conversation with you. Um, distractible. So um, either reported or seen, like you notice you're distractible. You're not able to uh, kind of keep on task. It's hard to finish a, uh, an assignment that you may be working on. Uh, irritability as well as increase in goal-directed activities. So I talked about like people have really impulsive ideas and you're really focused, but you're not able to finish it. And then high-risk activity. So for um, a lot of people, this could be spending lots of money on credit cards or or kind of blowing through savings. Um, There also can be sexual indiscretions or or promiscuity that happens, um, as well as other high-risk behaviors like alcohol, drugs, things like that, that contribute to impulsiveness. So that it's not just feeling happy. It's that extra. It's the extra. And I know there are markers that, that we look at, but this that's a great summary. And then on the, the other end of it, talk about the other side. So it swings from that um, overly elated, um, the behaviors that you mm-hmm. said, all the way back to... All the way back down to depression. So, you know, when we think of, tr- you know, traditional depressive symptoms, you know, like having a really hard time getting out of bed you know, not sleeping well or sleeping too much, not eating well or not eating enough, having difficulty taking care of yourself, like showering, going to work, um, just a low mood, 
you know, feeling hopeless, feeling helpless. And, and in bipolar disorder, that gets very low. So a lot of times that can lead to suicidal thoughts as well. So it's really the extremes. Yes. And they last for longer periods of time mm-hmm. in order to be truly diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for that. And we'll put in our show notes a link to um, more information about bipolar so that if someone's saying, oh, actually, I think I do know someone um, that fits that criteria, we'll put a link in there um, to give further information as well. One of the things I want to make sure I, and we're saying this each time during the series here during Mental Health Awareness Month is, you know, when you get a diagnosis, that's really the beginning point. Mm -hmm. So just to say, oh, yeah, my sister or brother or husband or son or daughter, whoever I think has bipolar, or they've been diagnosed with bipolar, that's really a starting point. Absolutely. So we what I, I really want to make sure that we're stressing in each of these, that you know, if you take your car to the shop, because something is clearly not right with it. And the mechanic says to you, yeah, it's your alternator that's gone bad. They've identified what it is. But it hasn't corrected the issue with the car, right? So at that point, you say, Okay, great. Now we know it's the alternator, fix it, like, because I want my car to work well. So that's sort of the next part of this is if you feel like someone has that, or you know, someone who, who's already been diagnosed with that, or if you're listening, and you think, gosh, that could be me, check the link, um, see if, see if there's um, need for further, you know, exploration about that. But what are some things people can do? And I want to talk two different ways. One is, if you feel like you might be the one suffering, mm-hmm. and then if you know someone that you love or you live with someone who you think might be suffering. So there's two two questions mm-hmm. here. Um, you can start with either one. Mm-hmm. I maybe start with ourselves, right? So yeah. if you're listening and you think, oh my gosh, like that's me. I, I wonder what does a person do if they think it's them? So, you know, a lot of times when I work with people with bipolar disorder, they feel like they're at the mercy of their symptoms. And so they feel like a, a, a huge lack of control because to some degree it's hard, right? You can't, because of the swinging. And so, you know, knowing that it doesn't have to define you, um, you know, there's way to manage and treat your symptoms. Like you said, with the, you know, with the car, like just because you have the diagnosis, there's a lot that you can do to kind of help manage it and, and you're not alone in it. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that you can first start to do is to track your moods. So find a, like a journal or a workbook that you really like. And uh, there's one that I will recommend, uh, later in the podcast, but find one that you really like and just start tracking your mood every day. You know, asking yourself, like, what am I feeling? How would I rate it on a scale from, you know, one to five? Five being I'm kind of in hypomanic or mania, you know, one being not. How would you rate it? And then look for themes, look for patterns, and then seasons too. Some people will tend to swing during seasons. You know, we hear about seasonal affective disorder. You know, some people know like, okay, in the wintertime, I'm really depressed and I know I need to have lots of things planned. I know I need to have lots of activities. So track your moods and just look for patterns and just be curious in in what you look at and what you see, as well as knowing what your your, uh, high-risk situations are and what your warning signs are. So know what can contribute to a high, know what can contribute to a low, 
and share that with your family. Um, let them know, hey, these are my these are my warning signs. If you start seeing these, please come and tell me. Or if I start noticing these, um, you know, it's really important to know. We talk about control. Like it's really important to know for yourself, like what are your triggers? What are your high risk situations? What are your warning signs? And and share that with people. And then the last one is finding an accountability partner. So finding someone that you can share your, you know, warning signs with and them having the safety to be able to come to you and say, hey, I've noticed that maybe you're spending a little bit more than I know you normally like to, or I noticed that it's it seems harder for you in the morning to get up and get moving. And then, you know, allow them to, to give you that feedback because a lot of times our family notice first when we're not doing well. Um, our, you know, our family and friends, they know us very well. And so they notice those things even before we do. Um, our brain likes to tell us that everything's fine, you're, you know, you're okay. Um, and we kind of rationalize those warning signs, but we can't fool our family members. They know the difference. So what are some keys to supporting your mental health so that um, the symptoms of bipolar, so if you know you're doing these things, you've tracked your moods, you know um, what contributes, like what the warning signs are, that you've got people that are watching out for you that you'll listen to when they say, hey, I think it's shifting now. Um, Now what do I do? So once you've noticed, you know, if you notice that things are starting to shift, then at that point it's, you know, go talking with your doctor, talking with your therapist or, or connecting with a therapist if you don't have one, and then trying to put things in place to create a routine as well. So, you know, if you notice that yourself that you're not sleeping as much, okay, you need trying to make an effort to get more sleep. Um, or trying to make sure that I'm eating well, things like that. You know, one of the things with bipolar disorder is sometimes we can't control how high we swing. And so sometimes medication is necessary to help control those things. If you feel like you've got a good routine, you're kind of monitoring these things and, you know, you've got steps in place, like you're not keeping credit cards, things like that to kind of help monitoring it, but it's still kind of getting higher than you'd like or lower than you'd like. Then reaching out to someone who specializes with bipolar disorder because there's a lot of medications that can be helpful, but a lot of people don't tend to like the side effects of them. So finding someone who can say, okay, this is this would be a good medication regime for you. So what I heard was create a routine, make sure you're eating well to support your body, to your doctor or therapist who specializes in bipolar, and then also um, get medication if it's needed. Mm-hmm. So those are great practical um, tips. What if you are the person who has a loved one who you believe suffers from bipolar. And there's two kinds of people. They're the ones that think they might have bipolar. And when they address it, the person says, no, can't I just have my moods? Mm -hmm. I'm just stressed about this or excited about that or whatever. And so there's not the insight to say or the willingness to say, okay, I'm going to go explore this further and potentially get help. So there's that crew. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other crew like parents or spouses that say, yes, I already know my child has bipolar or my spouse has bipolar. My best friend has it. How can I support them in it? So there's the ones that are are sort of silently suffering as they're watching their loved ones suffer. And then there are those who are in the supportive role um, who've acknowledged it and maybe see their doctor and see their therapist and have created that routine, but they just want to provide extra support. So let's start with 
What if you think your spouse or your child has it, but they're not willing? What, how can you support someone who's not willing? Uh, and that's a hard question, right? How do you support someone who's not willing to seek help or to, um, you know, work to, to, to grow? And so, you know, a lot of times it is just trying to be there and, and be supportive uh, using kind of the I statements, you know, the I feel, you know, really trying to communicate how these things are impacting you being the loved one. It is helpful to, you know, if you think that it could be bipolar disorder to track moods too, for you to kind of be aware of, okay, this is, this is how I know. And, and odds are you probably already know. Like if you're living with someone, you know what the triggers are for the other person. You know, what the seasons are, and and even just trying to humbly kind of go to the other person and say, hey, this is what I'm noticing, and I'm coming from a place of love. Like, I I love you, and and this is how it's impacting us. This is how it's impacting you. Um, You know, for the person that's experiencing it, it doesn't feel good either. How does it, how does it feel? So if you're the one living with someone who Mm -hmm. you think has bipolar who has not received treatment for it or is resistant to getting care. How does it feel? For the person that is the loved one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I mean, it can feel very isolating. It can feel very shameful. You know, you feel like you're just kind of stuck and you don't know what to do because you love this person so much and you, you know, you want the best for them. And so it can be very, um, it can be very isolating to really want this person to get the help that they need but they're not receptive to the help. What I hear, um, especially from spouses and parents, I'm worn out. Mm-hmm. I'm worn out from the ride. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I know when the good is coming, I'm going to capitalize on the good mm-hmm. days, but gosh, I know what comes after and I don't know when it's going to hit. Mm-hmm. And um, so what I see and what I hear is I'm just so worn out from it. And at that point too, you know, as the as the loved one, there has to be a level of you taking care of yourself as well. And so, you know, when I work with people in relationships and the you know the partner's not willing or the partner doesn't want to, then it's time to set to take a step back, set an emotional boundary, and do what you need to do to take care of yourself to be there for your loved one. So, you know what what are some things that you need to do to take care of yourself so that you can be at your best because this person's not at their best. Yes. Um, and you can't take care of the person if you don't take care of yourself first. Yep, that's so good. So if you're supporting someone who you think is resistant or who's just completely unwilling, um, practice using those I statements, track their moods, not to use as a weapon, but maybe to confirm, um, come from a place of love when you have that conversation. Um, but most importantly, those last two points that you said to take care of yourself mm-hmm and to set emotional boundaries so that you know that you're safe when the next mood um, Mm -hmm. comes. So that's really good. So the other side of that is for someone who has a spouse who's getting care or who has a child who's getting care, um, what can that person do to continue to support and encourage their loved one? So, you know, one of some of the practical things I said earlier for the person to do, it's good for you to know then too, like, what are their warning signs? What are their mood seasons like? What's the routine? How can you be there and encourage them and kind of be their cheerleader when things aren't going well? So a lot of times, especially with depression, uh, you know, I'll say, 
well, who, who's your accountability partner? Who's your loved one that when it's really hard for you to get out of bed, they're kind of over saying, okay, let's, let's, let's get out. Let's just go for a walk and encouraging you to kind of get you out of bed or who's someone that you can say, okay, I think you've been spending too much. I'm going to go ahead and take your credit cards and you not be mad because that's your accountability partner. Right. But trying to, um, you know, put those things in place so that, uh, things don't kind of swing one side or the other too far. So I've I've taken four four points here for you yourself to know the warning signs, to help with the routine, uh, to encourage the accountability partner. And I know something we say often here as it relates to marriage is that we weren't meant to be our spouse's accountability partner. That's meant for mm-hmm. for someone else um, because there's deeper issues yeah. and you have to, to, to set that kind of boundary, but then to put boundaries in place. And my guess is you didn't say it, but, um, is self-care. Oh, absolutely. You That's know? always going to be a recommendation. Right. Take care of yourself. <laughs> so whatever it takes for you to be able to, to walk through that and to encourage, and again, come from that place of love, mm-hmm. um, to, to practice that self-care and whatever it is that you do for your own mental health and inner strength. And it's okay to set the boundary too. If you say, I, I can only do this, this is what I'm only able to offer because if I go too deep into it or if I yes. put too much of myself in it, then I lose myself. So also giving yourself the permission as the loved one to set whatever emotional boundaries you need because you don't want to do some of these things at the expense of yourself. That's never something that we should do. So, you know, if you're listening to the list and you say, I, I, I just can't do that anymore. And she's telling me I need to do that. It's okay to give yourself permission to set that emotional boundary and not do that too. And even though they get upset because you set the boundary doesn't mean you shouldn't have set the boundary. Absolutely. That's good. That's good. Do you have any resources that you'd like to share? Mm-hmm. So um, I've got a couple of different types of resources. So the first one is just a book, and it's called Loving Someone with Bipolar Disorder, and it's by Julie Fast and John Preston. And so this is something for the loved one, you know, on how how to support them. Um, A book I read a long time ago, it's called Welcome to the Jungle, and it's by Hillary Smith, and it's a self kind of accountability book. So, uh, you know, Hillary was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, and this is kind of her her experience with it. And so that was a kind of a really good starting book. And then any type of workbook. So, you know, this one is the Bipolar Disorder Workbook by Peter Forrester or any workbook that has practical tools. You know, I talked about like a mood journal, like finding something that you like and each person likes different things about them. So find a workbook, you know, that can help you learn some of those skills to, to help manage some of these things. Well, thank you, Brittany. This is a, a lot of information. I know that um, it goes deeper than this. We mm-hmm. just sort of just like touched the surface, but um, we want to give our listeners some tools to really know what to look for and then how to dig deeper. And so you've done that quite well as always. Thank you. Um, if you missed our first three um, podcasts in this series, we t- we've already talked about anxiety and depression and really just what mental health is. So if you're just joining us, I would encourage you to go back and listen to those Those had great information and some resources in that as well. And so this is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, May is. So as always, please take care of yourself, um, get your own routine and um, practice self care and setting those boundaries and caring for your body because we know that mental health is physical health. So thank you all for listening. Uh, Next week, 
Uh, We're going to be talking about when to see a therapist instead of talking to a friend. So what's the difference? So you're going to want to join in and listen uh, when we release that one as well. Thank you all for joining us. We are glad to offer you practical solutions for positive change, and we will see you soon. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Care to Change podcast, where we offer you practical solutions for positive change. We invite you to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and YouTube to hear more about our conversation topics. Check out the show notes below to see resources mentioned in this episode. If you have any questions or would like additional information, please reach out to us on our care line at 317-979-7133 or email us at help at care2change.org. We thank you again and hope you will join us for more of our podcast conversations.